Pivot is brought to you by our founding sponsor, Smart Water. What makes Smart Water delicious? It's pure, it's crisp, it's vapor distilled with electrolytes added for taste. Learn more at drinksmartwater.com. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network, and I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. Hello, Scott. How are you doing? How are you, Kara? Freezing cold weather. I'm sorry. So I'm... you pulled out what? the ultimate excuse for being late. Yeah. And your kid forgot his lunch. Yes, and he guilted me. Like, it was his fault, and then he blamed me for not reminding me, and then he got me to bring it to school. I just, and the whole, I, it's, I, I'm an Uber driver, really, what I am, is what I am. I've become. Yeah, aren't we all? Yeah, well, he's good. thirteen. That's... I just, I don't know. I just, it's, I just brought it. I just remembered when. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Scott. Um, so It'll anyway, take we... care of us when we're old, Kara. That's what we have to remember. Yeah, someone has to take care of us when we're old. Yes, I. Well, I hope that's the case. That's. I'm like, I was thinking yeah. that the other night. I'm like, I wonder if these two bozos are going to take care of me when I'm older. I wasn't certain. I'm not certain. Maybe one of them. Maybe the other. I'm not. The other will just pay for it, which I'm fine too. That's fine too. That's good, too. That yeah, works. Yeah. So what's going on this week? Well, there's a lot going on. Uh, I just uh, reported a story yesterday uh, that uh, Lorraine Powell Jobs, uh, who is the uh, widow of Steve Jobs, but that's not her only criteria. Uh, she's also an entrepreneur. She's an investor. She's done a ton of philanthropy. Um, she bought a company called uh, Pop-Up Magazines Productions, another media buy. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought you might have some thoughts on all these zillionaires buying up properties. This is a really interesting property. She's been buying interesting properties. Uh, we got Microsoft surpassing Apple. We've got all kinds of things. Tell me yeah, what you want to talk a about. A lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. Well, it's interesting. The pop-up, that company, I had never heard of it before, but <laughs> there's definitely a trend in what I would describe as Ridlin Retail, the frozen mansion or museum of pizza and the notion that <laughs> retail in order to survive mansion? needs to— Okay, go ahead. Frozen mansion. Let's go have rosé and explore our imagination All and right. unleash the bounds of our creativity okay. for 45 right. bucks to drink, to right. drink champagne. Anyways— the key attribute in these things is scarcity. And that mm-hmm. is, you know, the Museum of Ice Cream is going away. So this seems to be a trend. It's going to have a lot of impact on retail, especially malls that are used to um, co-opting uh, brands into signing 10-year commitments. Right. And I think this is an example of it turning content into sort of this, you know, quote-unquote experiential retail. In terms of billionaires, I mean, content, it's, it, this it's, just, is a, just, it's just a show. I mean, I don't know if it's experiential yeah. retail. I, I'm not sure if that's – it's just – have you been to one? They're, I'm going to take you to one. They're great. They're really great. I'd like that. You can't. Like you know that. what's yeah, interesting about them? You oh, can't. Oh, so you've been to one? Describe oh, I've been to it. tons. Describe I've been to tons and tons. Um, I love them. They started in San Francisco and they sell out immediately because they're so delightful. Um, they're the, it's a magazine acted out. Like at one point, one one of huh. them, Jenna Wortham, who used, who works for the New York Times, she did a shat. She took took one of her New York Times story and she did it in shadow puppets, and it was so entertaining that it was it was it's delightful. And then they don't record it, so you can't see it again, which is kind of like most theater, hmm. but. It's Again, really, scarcity. It's fun. It's fun and interesting and inventive, and it's always pushes you, pushes you, you know, from a from a journalistic perspective. Anyway, and then they have a magazine that they've distributed in, uh, you know, you know how uh, Sunday magazines are over at big newspaper chains because they cost so much, and so they make one that is inserted into the San Francisco Chronicle and a lot, certain readers of the Los Angeles Times and the San Francisco Chronicle and some other places, and and it's really great journalism. And they've won, they've gotten very close to several national magazine awards. In a very short time, and they've won. I, I know we gave them an award when I'm on the board of the low, the the um, 
Livingston Awards. And they're just really a great little company. But she she had invested $10 million in them and now has picked up the rest. Wow. Yeah, so Republicans buy yeah. football teams and Democrats buy media companies. Right. What do you think of that? What do you think about big—I mean, people have owned—big people, big rich people have owned media for, forever. But what do you think of that trend? I'm not. A, I actually think, on the whole, it's a good thing. I think organizations like the New York Times should be owned by a benign billionaire mm-hmm. with the resources and the commitment to, you know, and they need to be checks and balances. Uh, but my sense is these organizations don't make great for-profit entities. Mm-hmm. So if if a billionaire with deep pockets and a commitment to democracy and journalism comes in, you know, I'm all good with yeah, that. What do you tech, think? I think it's interesting because they're all tech people. Like Mark Benioff buys Time Magazine. Yeah. Um, Lorraine Jobs, a Powell job, a job, a job, Powell Jobs is uh, buying. She bought the a big piece of the Atlantic. She's bought a bunch of movie studios, really interesting ones. One called Macro, and it focuses on stories of people of color. She's bought into Axios. She's bought into Gimlet Media, um, and then yeah. obviously Jeff Bezos. And so. I think you're going to see. You're right. These tech. It's mostly tech people, which is really interesting to me because they're the people sort of ruining media at the same time, which is kind of ironic. But the, but the fear is that these people are going to come in and and turn it into their vehicle uh, for pers- total yeah. personal use, which used sort to be like the case, the Sheldon Adelson model. Yeah. But I would argue both Rupert Murdoch, you know, there was fear that Rupert Mur- Murdoch was going to ruin the Wall Street Journal. I mm-hmm. think the Wall Street Journal is as good as it's ever been. And I think the Washington Post has actually made a lot of progress yeah. since since Bezos bought it. So we're four rich people buying media, in other words. Yeah, there you go. Okay, we're, we're agreement. How about it? I do worry about the idea that, I mean, I, the thing is, when I, when I do worry about it, I think, oh, my God, the you know, the Bancroft's own the Times, the, 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 the whoever owned the Los Angeles Times. There's always been a rich family Um in either mm-hmm. they're good rich families like the Grams of the Washington Post or they're bad rich families, you know, like the Adelsons um, who who meddle and do stuff with, with their properties. So there you have it. Yeah, but over the last 30 years, media has taken a lot of very rich families and turned them into just rich families. <laughs> I don't think the Grams— I don't think no. the Grams or the Salzburgers have the economic influence they used to. Yeah, that's um, the case. I think you're right. And they still have a, a tremendous commitment to journalism. But the Bancrofts who sold to— um, the Wall Street uh, the, sold Murper. to Murdoch. Yeah. They look like geniuses. They do. They sold at the top of the market, mm-hmm. and that was a struggle. Um, if you, know, you remember and, that thing, I was right. I was at was I was at the journal at the fight. time, and I know knew them pretty well. And it was uh, it, it, we had one of our conferences, our all things D conference that Rupert was at, and some of the Bancroft um, people, the the family, and it was really tense. <laughs> it was super tense. Yeah, because there was yeah. they fought. I it, imagine you were the one. You were one of the folks that was saying, n- "No way." No, I wasn't. I oh, wasn't. You, you said sell. I was. I did. I. I. You know, it was interesting because the, no, I didn't. I thought they should sell. Maybe not to him. I mean, at one point, I know the Washington Post was worried, the owners of the Washington Post were worried that Ruben Murdoch would try to buy the Washington Post. And so that's why they sort of sidled it up to Bezos, I think, in a lot of ways. I think they didn't want it be hmm. owned by Rupert Murdoch, for example. Anyway, uh, that, so, so that's the situation in media. Um, th- what's interesting, another one is Microsoft surpassing Apple in market value. I thought Huge. you'd have some thoughts on that. Huge. Please Yeah, and it's not so much the Microsoft. It's not so much that Microsoft passed Apple. It's that Apple fell below Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, Satya Nadella, mm-hmm. I, I would argue, is probably the tech CEO of the year. Just, we'll explain uh, that. Has been a real visionary. Well, under under Bomber, the company went sideways for a good 10, yes. 15 years. Yes. And then two, three years, two, three years into the to, to, into the Nadella reign, and this company is, again, the most valuable company in the world, or at least it was briefly on Wednesday. And it goes to two things, and I think there's— 
key learnings here for, um, or what I talk to my students about in terms of the careers they want to pursue. Uh, one is more just a financial um, that's smoothing out smoothing out the the, the lumps, and you you haven't seen nearly the fall in Microsoft as you've seen in some of the other big tech. And that is the company's just more diversified. It has several distinct revenue streams, uh, diversification. The market's like that, but more than anything. It's got the recurring revenue business model, and that is the ultimate monogamous relationship between corporate America and an organization is the relationship between global corporations and Microsoft Office, who every year pony up hundreds of dollars per worker, and then the renewal rates are practically 100%. And the market just loves monogamy or specifically recurring revenue, and Microsoft for a long time has had just this tens of billions of dollars of recurring revenue in the form of Office. So Satya Nadella and Microsoft, as we're all barking at the moon and talking about Facebook and Apple, they just keep plugging yeah, along. He's a plugger. Really, he's a really incredible. He's an interesting guy. He's got a really interesting um, he's got sort of a tough family life. Two of his kids have some learning disabilities. And and he's he's just one of these really interesting, quiet um Guys who I've known for a long, long time, and he when he was a product, you know, he was running different products at Microsoft, and he was sort of the the the, the candidate nobody thought they had all these big names for the head of Microsoft, and he sort of again sidled in there, um, and very quiet, very self uh, effacing, and uh, he had one little hiccup around when he said something wrong about women um, at one of the women's events, um, but in general, I think he's been a really solid person, and you know, the era of Bomber was just. You know, I covered that whole thing, and it was really it was something to see. He would like he kept saying, "Mobile's not going to be there. Who cares about cell phones?" Like it just went on and on. Uh, you know about really missed calls um, all over the place when I was covering that company. And so, you know, he's he, you know Bomber's a salesman at heart, really. Just he could be selling Xerox machines. You know, he could sell anything essentially. But they really did need someone who was more of a technologist, more of you know pulled the politics out of it, pulled the. Um, just quiet and steady wins the race kind of personality. And I really, I actually like him personally. He's very, um, you know, he's sort of geeky, but but he's he can talk to you. You know what I mean? Like he's a really, he's a very yeah. uh, solid uh, CEO that really is. Um, he's very likable. Yeah, very much so. And so it's it's interesting yeah. to think about that Microsoft now versus Microsoft 10 years ago, you know, 15 years ago even. Um, you know, what was interesting, the reason I, I want to sort of pivot to the idea is that, you know, this is a company that underwent an antitrust scrutiny, like, and then, of course, lost yep. in court, and they've managed to pull themselves back and, and get back in cloud, what's another thing that Amazon was sort of running mm-hmm. away with. And what's interesting is this week, Google's cloud had left Diane Green, and I think there's probably some tension between, mm. I know there is, there was some tension between her and Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google. Now, what's interesting about her is she's also on the board of Google, uh, which is kind of an odd situation for really? yeah. Um, so, uh, so, so she left, and that was, and they replaced her with someone else, I think, from Oracle. But it, that you know, Google has not kept up the same way in the cloud business that they should have, and missed that turn very much so um, compared to Microsoft, which got it back, I think. Well, it's interesting you bring up the DOJ action against Microsoft in the late 90s, and I would argue that if the DOJ had moved in on Microsoft in the late 90s and said, stop killing small companies in the crib as you did with Netscape, mm-hmm. that we'd all be saying, I don't know, bing it. <laughs> they would have used their, 
they would have used their bundling and economic power to kill Google in the crib. And yeah. the object of every innovator's affection, Google, $750 billion in market cap, 75,000 mm. great jobs created, is a function of antitrust action. And we, we, we forget that antitrust can actually be yeah. oxygenating and also burning. Yes, giants. absolutely. I think it was, you know, I think it was a big, uh, that was a really interesting thing. I covered it for the Washington Post, that trial. And I just keep remembering that um, when Gates had that, uh, the, 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 when he was with the lawyers and he just messed up so badly. They were so arrogant. Like, it just oozed out of that company. Um, and and it's cer- certainly yeah. a different company now. It's absolutely. And I think it's much more in Sacha's image than it is in the two founders, really, which was Bom- Steve Ballmer, even though he wasn't, well, he was a founder, I think, um, and Bill Gates. Um, so I think they're, they're, they're just plugging away at what they do. And they got out of the media business, speaking of that, like a lot of their MSN, yeah. that went on for far too long. And it was sad to watch. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. Is there an interesting, you know, sort of dark horse of a company? You, you think of Microsoft as so scary, but they actually seem very pleasant, right? <laughs> very pleasant. But surpassing Apple, what do you think about that part? I thought you'd have a thought on Apple. So, uh, look, Apple is turned into the iPhone and the seven doors. People talk about the services component, again, recurring revenue. But it's really, you know, Apple is, and it's an incredible problem to have, but the most profitable device in the history of business and probably the most transformative device, the iPhone, you know, the company is, if the iPhone sneezes, Apple's going to get a cold. And there's some insecurity and some wobbliness around people not replacing their mm-hmm. iPhone as often. And uh, I, I don't know if you saw the Supreme yeah. Court case. Ta- explain that. Anti-competitive explain behavior. That. Well, effectively, uh, of, of all people, some iPhone users are saying that they have no choice and that, that Apple is making apps more expensive than they need to be because effectively Apple has a monopoly on it and you have to go to the App Store and pay a 30% surcharge, which is what Apple charges. They take a 30% tax. And this all comes back to the same thing, and that is if you own the rails and you're shipping all the products and you get to see where every product's going, should you also own the businesses that you're shipping yep. products to? Do you have insight? You if have you're a platform, should you also be competing? Like Amazon. You can say the same thing against, about Amazon. Uh, against all of them. And going <laughs> back to Microsoft, the reason why the DOJ moved in on Microsoft when I would argue they had less even less monopoly power than where Google and Facebook and Apple are right now is because, quite frankly— Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates at that time were not nearly as likable. Mm-hmm. And they were also perceived as conservatives. And I'm convinced that being perceived as a progressive politically is the ultimate sheep's clothing. Oh, it, I don't know about that. As, Hello, Facebook. I mean, come on. We as per, Well, it's changing, no doubt about it. But uh, well, after, well after it should have. I think to date, it's interesting. Progressives, we're, you know, you and I are both progressives. We're perceived as, as nice but weak. We're mm-hmm. Alan Alda petting our Labrador, watching PBS. We're not a threat to anybody. I am. Whereas conservatives are, <laughs> except for you, uh, whereas conservatives are generally stereotyped as smart but mean. Mm-hmm. So the perfect illusionist trick is to wrap yourself in, in a, a progressive blanket. And I think these companies have done that brilliantly. Whereas Microsoft, I mean, it's changed with the Gates Foundation, but large, loosely speaking, they were pretty unlikable. They were yeah. pretty, a pretty, pretty unattractive unlikable. duo. They were very unlikable yeah, having very unlikable, them. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's and interesting. So the DOJ moved in on them. Yeah. Well, we'll see what's going to happen. And it's amazing we haven't talked for even a second about Facebook. But I will say again, Mark not appearing before the committee in Britain, which has a cache of emails, wow. which are probably once again like who's making these calls? Yeah, and you know what? There's a deeper story here. MP uh, Member of Parliament Damien Collins. Damien I mean, Collins. I'm going to really interview big. him. 
I'm going to interview Damien. Oh, that's going to be interesting because yeah. I'll tell you, Britain, the UK is going gangster on Facebook. Because think about what they did. Mm-hmm. They found documentation, or they think there was documents that might reveal damaging information against Facebook. They found the CEO of an app that was closed down by Facebook in mm-hmm. 2015. They found out the CEO was going to be in the UK, and they had a sergeant at arms go over to his hotel and say, hey, we know you're here. Give us this documentation. You have 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So if they can go that deep, yeah. if they're thinking that strategically and that meticulously about they how are. to get information that Facebook doesn't want released, it was sealed by a California court, that information, the U.K. is coming for Facebook. Yep. Yep. What are they going to do? It's going to be very interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, nine, think about it. What other tech CEO or what other Fortune 500 CEO mm-hmm. would refuse to testify in front of Canadian and British Parliament and not be fired? Well, well, that's another issue. Who else? You know, I discussed that last week in my column in the New York Times. Yep. Yep. Who indeed? Someone who controls everything. That's who indeed. Anyway, it'll be interesting and, to watch that that development for sure. And I think uh, I think they're coming to Capitol Hill again, right? A lot of these executives are coming back. Oh, that's right. Round two or round, round seven, two. I should say. Yeah, yeah, it'll and be just interesting. A, just a quick, go ahead. A quick update. So, you had a very interesting point. I think it resonated with a lot of viewers last week that everyone's going after Cheryl. The knives are out. They continue to sharpen. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's 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 the white dude, the Zuck, who's responsible, and he seems everyone's just sort of. Not just him. Listen, there was a story in Vanity Fair. Again, I was like, hey, there was a CFO here. There was a CLO here, the chief legal officer. There was a CTO here, a chief technology officer. There was a head of, like, a really major executive named Chris Cox. Where is he? Do you know his name? I will tell it to you. He's just as powerful as Sheryl Sandberg. You know, I mean, it just, let me just say, there's a lot of other people here. And again, I'm trying not, I'm saying she is absolutely, well, it's just you just don't hear anybody else's name. It's because we are so reductive about how we assign blame to people. And it's 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 a, mm-hmm. it's a group clusterfuck. That's my feeling. And, and that's how yep. it should be looked yep. at. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm asking for is equal crapping on these people, essentially. Thank you. Equal crapping. There Equal you go. Crapping. You heard it here. Under the law. It's the, it's the, it's the 29th Amendment. Um, anyway, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, stay with us, and we'll be back soon with more. Pivot is brought to you by our founding sponsor, Smartwater. So we both run businesses, manage day-to-day, and now host a podcast. I have a lot of podcasts. We're working hard, and so does Smartwater. It's vapor distilled, whatever that is, for purity with electrolytes for taste. It's water that keeps us hydrated as we work hard. And look, you work hard. You deserve a great-tasting, hydrating water. Learn more at smartwater.com. We're back. I'm back with Scott Galloway on Pivot. Um, we were talking about a wide range of things, including Microsoft and some other stories of the week. Um, but, Scott, you were in Florida last week. My kids were in Cuba, where, and I got a lecture on soft communism from them, along with cigars. Um, and it's safe to say <laughs> I don't smoke cigars. Uh, a lot of us were not reading the news over the holiday. Um, but it doesn't mean there wasn't a lot of news happening, and there really was, besides everything Trump said. Like, there was so many things in that regard, which let's not go over. One of the things that I thought was interesting was this— uh, you know, I bang this China drum, how frightening they are as a, as a country from an internet point of view and from a surveillance yeah. point of view. And so this new story came out about China issuing citizen scores, you know, like credit scores. This is, this yeah. was an episode of Black Mirror, by the way. Um, and it's a, it it's a, a national yeah. reputation system being developed um, 
like credit scores. And some internet companies, I'm trying to think, Affirm does look at your social media thing to decide whether to give you money or not. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're trying to assess their economic and social reputation. It makes them easier to do business. Essentially, it's a reputation system. But to me, it's a form of mass surveillance um, that they've been doing already. Mm-hmm. And the citizens are quite welcoming to do it and how they shop, where they go. Um, what do you think of this? I mean, I think it's it's inevitable, but what is your thoughts on this? Because I think it's a I I am banging this drum on on surveillance economies, and I think mm-hmm. they're disturbing in becoming increasingly disturbing. Well, it's it's typically not the idea that freaks people out. It's when organizations get really good at it, and so the idea of a, we've had a credit score, and we're a capitalist society, so we want private information on people's ability. To pay their bills, which you could argue is, you know, is a violation of their privacy and you have a credit score from a very early age. They're starting it perfect when you're this new system in China. You start at 1,000, I think it is. But it's really interesting. So, for example, if you buy diapers, your credit score goes up because their assumption is you're responsible and you're taking care of children. If you buy video games, your credit score goes down. If you get a DUI, that's a big hit. And it what gets sort of scary, though— is that there's definitely sort of a social classification and real ramifications. If you have a high social score, your heating bills go down and you get invited to kind of fun soft communist events. By the way, I love the term soft yeah. communism. What is that, MSNBC? No, that's hard socialism. No, um, no. he was, he was trying to make the distinction. He didn't think I, – I, before he left, I said I think Cuba is soft communism now because there's a lot of entrepreneurial activity, all this kind of stuff. And he, was, he said he decided he came back. It was hard socialism. So it was interesting. There's a lot of people lecturing about that the U.S. system. And at the same time, there's a lot of entrepreneurial activity. Wait, this is a 13-year-old yeah, using terms like hard socialism? My son is brilliant. My he's like that's exhausted. Crazy. So, I'm actually sending him to debate school because he's quite sick. Oh, that's what you yeah, need. I know. I was thinking. A teenager at debate school. Yeah, he's going to go yeah, to debate remind school. Remind me to skip Thanksgiving he's, at the Swiss. He's really smart. Oh, my God. He's like, he's, he's, that's he's brilliant. He really is. The other day, we were uh, there was a, one of us was showing him a rock, you know, like it was in a museum. And we're like, oh, this rock is 450 million years old. Like, cool. Like that kind of dumb mom mm-hmm. thing. And he goes, uh, mom? Everything is 450 million years old. I was like, oh. There you go. There you go. Take that. I mean, it was brilliant. It was so brilliant. The so- anyway, let's get back to this I get China. It. I want to send, so, I want to send so my So China is a very different st- situation in terms of, you know, yeah. I- in terms of monitoring its citizens. Do you, do you think this is something that's going to happen here or what's the what's your thoughts? Well, it's it's uh, to a certain extent. I mean, we have a tendency, I think, we perceive China as scary. I think we have a bias against China. It is, this could go a lot of bad places, but the economic, the underpinnings of this are that there's a trust deficit in China and it's difficult to do um, business with someone who you can't do diligence on. And they think that that's holding back the economy. And when you think about, I think it feeds into some interesting concepts. My my colleague here at NYU, uh, Arun Sundarajan, talks a lot about trust and identity. And Airbnb and Uber would not exist if we weren't able to have, if you will, identity that leads to a trust score. So you know who's getting in the back of your car. You know who's driving you. You know who is renting your apartment in the Castro through Airbnb. But the notion of identity as a means of really getting to trust and attaching trust to an individual is key to economic growth. And that's the underlying... I I mean, I sound like the economic ministry spokesperson for China right now. But I think the underlying... Don't I? Yeah. Yeah. 
the underlying um, motivation here is economic. I don't think they're trying to be Big Brother. I think they're trying to create more trust across their hundreds of millions of uh, citizens with it that they want to incorporate into the economy. Now, could this lead bad places? Absolutely. But it's an interesting concept. And if you know, the reality is we've been doing it here in the U.S. And if you're in New York or you're in London, mm-hmm. you're on camera. Yeah. That is true. So it's but they're not really following Scott. They're not really following Scott. They just could follow Scott. They could use the cameras. I mean, we've all seen like um, yeah, what's his name? That Matt Damon thing. Born identity. Born whatever. Born yeah. sit, whatever. Every time there's a five yeah. minute born identity, one identity yeah. after another. But I mean, the idea that they can find you certainly, but they don't do it as a system, as a as a generalized system. Although you are tr- you could be tracked, but you aren't particularly tracked. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking speaking of China, so bottom line is I think it's interesting. I, I don't I don't think right. I'm as alarmed, and w- I don't I don't know if it does us any good to be alarmed because they're going to do whatever they That's want. That's a fair point. Let's talk about an American company thinking about putting a search engine in China. Yes, yes, and the Google people that don't want them to do it. What's going on there? Well, they say the Google workers publicly signed a letter asking their company not to build this censored version of the search engine. The Google people Dragonfly, are chatting right? away. Don't you love? I think I've unleashed something with yeah. my podcast a couple two weeks ago with the, the Google organizers of the walkout. Um, I think uh, I think it's interesting. I think they're still doing it. They have they they're still moving forward with it. It's a really interesting time for a company like Google because this is an area of business. This is an area of information. They need the data. Um, it's hard not to do it, but they cannot go in there without doing a censored search engine. So they're going to have to yeah. compromise and be complicit in what's going on there. And that's that's that. And so it's just the, you know, what are the ethical underpinnings of business? And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't do it, but they they will. So I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, one of the reasons that Apple is the most valuable company in the they're world in China. is again. Exactly. But they don't they have the search engine. They don't. They're, they're making a product. Like it's a little different. Like they're, yeah. they have it easier in yeah. a lot of ways. At the same time, I sometimes worry about things being made in China. I do. I'm like, hmm. Like, do we? <laughs> you know, there was that Bloomberg story, which I think went uh, Apple completely objected to and very, very uh, yeah. loudly. Um, but you, you wonder. Like you're like, oh God, who knows? Like you, yeah, it's it's it, it makes you. It's not like alligators in the toilets, but it's sort of like, oh God, they've got to be messing with our. Company. Alligators in the toilets, hard socialism. I, I, yes, I love I this. I know. Anyway, um, it's a really, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a. It, I am more wary of China than you are, but you are obviously, yeah. uh, you know, red, uh, red, red. I'm going to call Joe McCarthy in a second on you as soon as we get off this there you go. podcast. There you go. Um, so, so go ahead. Is it sorry. a good business decision, though? Is it because probably? Uh, well, let, I'll ask you a question, and probably. it's a loaded question because I have I have an answer. What is the core competence of any economy that's growing faster than any economy in the world, which is China right now? What's the core competence? Uh, what's what the do they do competence? better than anyone? Uh, what, what does a, an economy China? do when a when economy is growing faster than any other economy in the world? I would argue I'm I'm, I'm leading you, so I'll just get on with it. But I would argue the core competence of any economy growing much faster than any other economy that one thing they do really well is theft. And, okay. Uh, that is the core competence, in my opinion, of China right now is IP theft. And the notion they let tech companies come in just for long enough to steal their IP. They prop up a local entrepreneur and they capture the value domestically, which, by the way, has mm-hmm. been a smart move. Mm-hmm. Look at Italy, who let Google come in yes. and went the Western way. What's yes. happened to their newspapers, their job base, their talk space? Look mm-hmm. at China that lets companies come in long enough just to figure out their IP, steal it, prop up a local competitor, boom. 
I would argue that the Chinese way, while you could argue unethical, not Western, has probably worked out pretty well for China. By the way, same thing the U.S. did in the 18th and 19th centuries, stealing the IP for textile manufacturing out of Europe, even kidnapping artisans. It is the core competence of any economy that's growing faster than 6 or 7% a year is theft. And I, the, to bring it back to Google, I wonder if it's just a good business move. Why would they put their IP over there? It just It's not going to end well for them. Yeah. Yep, I agree. I agree. I don't, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting. They were there. They were. They actually had a very big business there. They think had twenty six percent of the search market there when they left. Um, but you're right. Twenty six percent. Something. It was higher than that. It was. That's real. It was a real one. It was a real one. Um, anyway, wins and fails of the week. Um, I, 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 I want to know what you think. What do you think the wins and fails of the week are? So I was really inspired by NASA's uh, Mars Lander uh, or Mars Rover Insight and just reading about the technological feat of landing a, a device, an instrument on Mars because if you have this device, you have mm-hmm. this Lander Insight traveling 300 million miles, and then that's not the hard part. The hard part is it has to slow in seven minutes, and the NASA engineers call it the seven minutes of terror. But they have to slow this thing from 12,000 miles an hour to five miles an hour. And the problem is, is the atmosphere is much thinner than the atmosphere here on Earth. Gravity turn, altitude 400 Even with a parachute 10 times the diameter of a a parachute on Earth, you still can't slow this thing uh, uh, beyond 200 or less than 200 miles an hour. So then you have to fire booster rockets at the exact right time. And not slow it down too much because then then you're not then you're not landing, you're launching. Mm-hmm. And if you put too much fuel in the lander, it ends up being heavier and dropping faster. So and meanwhile controlling this from three hundred miles away and they, they actually automate it. Touchdown confirmed. So when you see this thing land, when you see American government and scientists, just as as Bezos and Musk all sword fight with their dicks over has oh. bigger rockets and is going to get to Mars first. <laughs> Don't, like, slip that we in. Have, okay, go ahead. Sorry, I couldn't help oh, it. Right God. in there. But you have the government. You have engineers who've decided to go to work for one yes. of the one of the most inspiring organizations in the history of mankind, NASA, pulling off the near impossible. Sixty percent of lunar landings have failed. They have splat into the Mars. Uh, planet. So this was an exciting moment, not only for NASA, but for their international partners. And we forget how the space program uh, really does bring different countries together. And we do feel more of a yes. sense of collective humanity I, when things happen in space. So my win is the folks at NASA and, and Insight. I like all those movies about NASA, whether it's Hidden Figures or it's uh, First Man yeah. or any of them. I love them all. That's what I like. Yeah, the Matt Damon film was really yeah, good too. Martian, the Martian and stuff like that. Yes, I agree with you. I think it's really an astonishingly difficult thing to do, and and that they did this is just you know it's it's all for the good of mankind. Although I'm not going to Mars, Scott. I don't know if you are, but I'm not going to do that. Oh, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that, that talk about a we- talk about weird. Newt Gingrich, you know, saying we're taking people to Mars. That's you got to. I'd be, like to put Newt Gingrich on uh, Mars. That would work for me. Yeah, there you go. You know, I know him. It's very like well. running for president. It's like running for president. Anybody who decides to do it or decides to go to Mars, by virtue of that, means they're disqualified to, to be president or go to Mars. That would be a terrible, a terrible life. Yep. But anyways, we're we're going to stick in San Francisco and New York. All right, era. okay, fun. I'm in D.C., Scott, by the way. Anyway, my win of the week is, sorry, is myself because I think I did two really good podcasts last week. One with the Google employees, as I said, who really did speak up. Well, well hold on. Win of the week myself. Yes, I'm going to say it because I did myself. myself. Listen to me. I, the Google employees oh I interviewed, gosh. okay? I think the Google employees I interviewed oh, showed, as I said, Facebook 
employees docile, although not this week. There was some really interesting uh, back and forth around uh, people of color at Facebook of an employee who called them out very yeah. eloquently. Um, Does that sound real to you? Does that sound fair? Is everyone just piling no, on? No, I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I think it's fair. You think it's fair? Okay. All the companies. I don't know if it's particular. I think it's incredibly fair. Um, he uh, th- That was one. But I thought these Google employees really went to the mat. They went to the mattresses, as they say. Yeah. They really did. They spoke their mind. So let's listen to this yeah. tape from uh, Stephanie and Stephanie Parker and Amr Gaber. I read the scripted speech, and then I threw the paper away, and I just spoke what was on my mind. I asked the crowd, where do you think Google got that $90 million they used to pay out Andy Rubin? They got it from every time you worked late, every promotion you didn't get because they said there's not enough budget. You have to wait. It's from every contractor who came to work sick because they have no paid time off. Mm -hmm. These are conscious decisions that the company is making and abusers are getting rich off of our hard work. It's just not fair and they completely know what they're doing. I'm an entry level engineer and I've got five years of industry experience before I got hired at Google. Um, And even though these issues impact some groups more than others, they affect all of us. Just because the name of the company is a baby word doesn't mean that it's not greedy or exploitative. Mm-hmm. And the company doesn't care what race, gender, sexual orientation, age, ability, national origin, religious belief, history of military service, or job type you have, as long as you'll accept less than you're worth. All right, now you can see how intelligent and smart they are, Scott. See what I'm saying? They're very, they're really, they really did say, Looking speak their mind, and I hope they can continue because their their issues are very important, and I hope the uh, Google executives are listening to them. I've been pummeling Google executives to listen to this podcast, at least so they understand. Anyway, Scott, thank you so much. You're going to Brazil? Thank you, You're Kara. going to Brazil? What are you doing there, visiting your— I'm going to Brazil. Every year, I go with a bunch of buddies. We go surfing oh, in the south me. of Brazil. Or we pretend to surf. That's me and the waves holding on to a surfboard like a life preserver. Huh. But it's a good good time with You're friends. surfing and, uh, in Brazil. I'm you know really what I'm doing? I'm, like, interviewing—I have to interview Sam Altman on Monday in San Francisco and then Barry Diller and Dara Kosrashahi and Andy Jassy in Vegas on the next day. And then I have to come and—oh, my God. I, I don't have the right life. I just interviewed. Is this men. more not so humble bragging? Yes, I'm just who, saying. Who it is. I love this. Barry Dillon. Yes, I love. BD. I love interviewing him. It's so funny. A lion oh, of media. That guy. Love what does he do now? Is he retired? No, he's doing. He owns IAC. What does he do? He now? owns IAC. He owns like Tinder. He owns tons. He of still stuff. owns it. He owns a lot of things. Yeah. He owns a lot of things. He's like running. He's he's quietly doing just fine over to the left over here. Doing his thing. Let me just say, Barry Diller is one of my favorite people. Interviewer. He's really funny. And and my favorite line from him. Every time I interview him, we say he says something really outrageous. Fantastic. Um, and there's two things. I got to tell two Barry Diller stories. One, he was on stage at one of our All Things D conferences, and he was talking about Hollywood and the problems it's going to have dealing with the internet. And he totally foretold what was going to happen. This was many years before Netflix and everything else. And he said, I, he, I go, do you think the people of Hollywood have the ability to understand the internet? He goes, they're so inbred there. It's a wonder their children have teeth. And it was just, <laughs> it was just the best. And he did it in that there Barry Diller go. voice. And then he gave an eye roll, yeah. a fantastic eye roll. All right, Scott. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, have a great time in Brazil. Enjoy yourself. Thanks, uh, and uh, and I'll we'll talk uh, next time. All right, Sounds Rebecca Sinanis produces his show. Nishat Kurwa is Vox Media's executive producer of audio. Thanks also to Eric Johnson. Thanks for listening to Pivot from Vox Media. Join us next week for more of a breakdown on all things tech and business. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening.
We're fans of our founding sponsor, Smart Water. Delicious Smart Water is vapor distilled. People, vapor distilled for purity, okay? That's even more distilled. With electrolytes added for taste, it leaves us feeling refreshed and ready for the next challenge. Learn more at drinksmartwater.com. 